You are listening to the National University Podcast. Hello, I'm Kimberly King. Welcome to the National University Podcast, where we offer a holistic approach to student support, well-being, and success, the whole human education. We put passion into practice by offering accessible, achievable, higher education to lifelong learners. Today, we're talking about the economy, with the economic activity projected to stagnate, rising unemployment and falling inflation. Interest rates are projected to remain high initially and then gradually decrease in the next few years as inflation continues to slow. We'll get some tips today on how to ride out this economic wave. On today's episode, we're discussing the state of the economy, and joining us is National University's Dr. Ariad Abubakar. Dr. Abubakar has earned a bachelor's degree in accounting and a master's degree in economics from Bursaret University in Palestine in the Middle East. That was in 2007. He migrated to the United States in 2008 and has joined the University of California at Riverside in 2011. He earned another master's degree and a PhD degree from UC Riverside in 2016. After his graduation, Dr. Abu Bakr, he worked for several institutions between 2016 and 2023, the American University of Kuwait, Trinity College, the University of Hartford, the University of California at Riverside, and National University. He serves now as a finance lead in the School of Business and a dissertation chair for many PhD students, and his focus of research is on macroeconomics, monetary policy, and international trade. In his recent working in-progress research, Dr. Abubakar is investigating the asymmetric impact of the Federal Reserve's policy on the economy during COVID-19 and the Russian-Ukraine war. Wow. We welcome you to the podcast, Doctor. How are you? Uh, very good. Good morning. Thank you, Kim. I really appreciate it. It's, it's Absolutely. Nice it's so impressive, your background, and I'm sure we can talk for more than just uh, the time of this podcast, but why don't you fill our audience in a little bit about your mission, your passion, and your work before we get to today's show? Um, thank you, Kim. Basically, um, you know, what drives our uh, mission is is the curiosity. And, uh, you know, grow, uh, growing up as a child who's curious, you know, curious about things around us. And the economy changes every day. So something like, you know, we need to investigate, we need to search for. And this is very important. You know, money, economics, resources is the driver for many political, you know, uh, changes around the world, for global changes and environmental changes. And this is basically the curiosity that drives perso- a person to um, exploring this field. So this is like my passion. This is something I love to do. Not just I like to do. This is something I'm very passionate about which is basically what is the impact, for example, the monetary policy or recent monetary policy on uh, international markets and financial markets and uh, individuals, you know. This is what we live every day. Like, for example, the inflation today is the talk of everyone, you know. When we go to buy groceries, uh, buy stuff, buy cars, we see increase in prices, and that impacts every one of us. So our mission is, is not just like, you know, an individual, it's a human, it's a human nature that searches for the truth, for answers to questions that could be unanswered, you know. And this is basically my mission here is to see how things work around us and um, 
how the economy works and who's the leaders for this economy and how can they change our, you know, our basically lives to the better. You know, the, the main goal is to get a better life for everyone. And that is basically why I'm here. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for everything that you have done and where you've gone and uh, what's happening in the future. Today, we are talking about the state of the economy. And boy, Dr. Abu Bakr, what is the economy standing today? Where is it? What are, where are we at today? Uh, thank you. Basically, this is the question of all economics uh, around the world. Uh, we are not we're really like in the middle, let's say 50-50. You know, uh, within the next, let's say, 12 months, um, almost 59% of the economists um, don't predict uh, recession within these 12 months. But what, what's after? That is the question. So the economy is really in the middle. Like every day we hope to get better, you know. Um, in terms of data and statistics, things are, are not bad. Like if we look at the unemployment rate currently, it's a 3.4% compared to 3.5% last month, 3.6% the last year. So we're doing good in terms of labor market. If we look at the financial market, um, I predicted that the worst thing to, to happen is to go, for example, below uh, certain numbers like Dow Jones Industrial to go below 28,000 points. But currently we are at 33,000 points, but we're not going into like the 52 weeks low high. So let's say last year we crossed 36,000 points, but we're not going over that. And that is like kind of the middle. If you look at the numbers between 36, let's say, and 30, we're, we're kind of in the middle. So what's happening right now, it, it's really the complete uncertainty. Every day we hope things to get better, but second day we have things that drive us back like if you look at the war last year you know in february um the ukraine russian uh, russian ukraine war uh that put us back um before we had the covid uh, 19 and then also um like the peak in covid 19 and then we started basically the the increase in interest rate that drives you know uh home buyers away drives uh basically um, customers away, you know, um, reduce consumption, decreasing the inflation rate. The inflation rate reached uh, 10% almost, which is the highest uh, within the last four years. This is a huge increase in, in, in the prices. And then um, after we tried try to recover, uh, the Fed kept increasing the interest rate. Uh, the housing market, for example, is stable, but where we're going with this. So there is kind of a freeze in the housing market. No new, you know, the new buyers, the number of new buyers is in decreasing. The number of sellers is decreasing. So it's kind of we're in the middle. We really could go either way. And that is very, very uh, big question. Like we could really crash at any minute and go into deep recession. And hopefully that will not happen. And we could recover, but we still uh, taking time to recover. So it's kind of um, we could go either way. So. All policymakers have to be really careful at these at these levels and at these times, um, including the Federal Reserve and the government. So this is exactly like the time where we have complete uncertainty. Right. What is your prediction for any inflation soon? Uh, the inflation so so far is good. Like last year, uh, last month in April, it went below our prediction. It was four point nine percent. And that is very low. So the Federal Reserve did a good job by increasing the interest rate and decreasing inflation. The target really went down, but but still the Federal Reserve is going toward a two percent inflation target. Now the, the prices are down. That is that is a good thing. Let's say 
we did accomplish something. But if you look at the, uh, the, the big picture, like let's take oil prices. Oil prices currently at $70, uh, $70 $71 uh, per barrel, right? And this is very low. So what drives this uh, price low? Let's say, is there, uh, for example, increase in supply? What the OPEC plus meeting is, is going to do? Um, is there increase in output uh, so, uh, oil production? So that, that's a big question. So let's look at the, what we did to reduce the prices and what's happening outside our hands, let's say, on the supply side. Um, that is a big question. Now, if, for example, there is any occasion that leads to higher uh, oil prices, then inflation will go back. So there is something that the Fed did, but there's something else that's happening globally and internationally. And if we don't really, uh, we don't influence that, you know, we really have no, no influence on that. So if, if oil prices, for example, went up, let's say this summer um, or in upcoming months, then the prices will go, will go back again. And the Federal Reserve has to keep increasing the interest rate and so on and so forth. So, um, that is like the changes in the prices is coming from where? And that is the big question. So I think in, in my opinion, prices will unfortunately go back a little bit, at least at least will not go down. You know, um, the, the, the Federal Reserve will find themselves in, in a position where no matter how much we increase the rates, there are things out of our hands and control. Wow, it's it's such an unsettling time, but it would be really nice uh, to have the bird's eye view that you have. Um, uh, what is what is the Fed expected to keep interest rates high? Yes, the Fed actually uh, within the last meeting on May third, and within many sentences has been say, have been said by the Federal Chairperson Jeremy Powell, uh, they will keep increasing the interest rate until we reach the 2% target. And that that is like, you know, a big thing. 2% within this global economy, within increasing the prices in, all, in almost all countries around the world. That is kind of, let's say, impossible, you know. Um, I, I don't want to say it's impossible, you know, like it cannot happen, it's a miracle. But targeting 2% inflation rate within these conditions is very hard. Unless you keep going aggressively, toward interest rate and keep increasing the interest rate. But that has also a huge impact on our economy. Within a time we're suffering from the ceiling and, um, you know, government default or possibility for government default. So I say that if the Fed keep increasing the interest rate, which could happen, um, they have to watch carefully for the labor market. Uh, the labor market is still good, and that is, um, you know, that, that's what they're watching for. They say, okay, unemployment rate is, is still good, below the natural rate, which is 3.4%. But uh, naturally, usually 4% is, let's say, acceptable. Now, um, we don't want to, like, let's say, overestimate the strength of the economy. The economy could collapse at any minute, you know, um, especially like, again, we need to look at certain sectors, and if they, key, if they collapse at certain point, then things will, will go back, you know. Uh, so the Federal Reserve, I think, insists on increasing the interest rate, thinking that 2% has to be met. The 2% target has to be met. You know, that's like their goal, their, their agenda, because the target of the Federal Reserve is it's simple. Any monetary policy around the world, uh, they focus on two goals, maximum employment and stable prices. 
stable prices means 2% inflation rate, and maximum employment means that there's no um, output gap. Basically, we are at the frontier. We hiring everybody, you know, in the economy. That's kind of, uh, but not everybody means un zero unemployment uh, rate. It means like 4% unemployment rate. So um, my prediction is the rate will keep going up. And uh, that could be like a dangerous path. You know, we do want to keep doing that until we find ourselves forced to go back and decrease interest rates. Mm. Um, question for you about your feeling about the recovery from COVID-19. Was it strong uh, or did we recover less than expected? Oh, no, we recovered actually very strongly from, from COVID. Um, I do believe COVID did not do uh, what was predicted to do. You know, um, let's say the worst months um, uh, of COVID were, let's say, February 2020 to April 2020. Let's so these two or three months were very bad. Where, for example, Dow Jones Industrial went down from 27,000 points to 18,000 points. Like third of the stock market returns were gone. That was very dangerous. Ten, unemployment rate went up to 10%. Um, oil prices went, went down too, too much, you know, like to um, $20 or less. So these, uh, these things were done, were gone, you know. But the problem, we injected too much money in the economy too. You know, when you say $2 trillion um, stimulus package, that actually inflated our economy. And that's why we're also suffering from higher prices right now. So um, basically, we numbed the economy for a while, but at the end, we suffered higher prices. Um, practically, on the, on the in the labor market side, in financial market, we recovered big time from the COVID. I, I don't think COVID still has a huge impact on the economy. What has a huge impact in the economy is the economic policy and um, the, 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 the international, let's say, factors too. No. So that leads to the next question regarding, okay, so COVID-19, but what about the effect did our funding of the Ukraine war have on our recovery? Uh, of course, that's a big, big, big uh, impact. Uh, let's say, um, look at the oil prices. You know, oil mm -hmm. prices, it's, it's a big thing. Um, when, when the peril jumped from 60, 70 bucks to 135 bucks per barrel, that's almost double oil prices. Um, for example, in LA, we, we start finding $7 plus per gallon. You know, that's, that's a huge increase in, in oil prices. So, um, yes, in, in terms of oil, we suffered a lot. Um, um, that, that what drives the prices and the oil prices definitely, uh, has something to do with with uh, um, uh, Ukraine and Russian war, right? The sanctions on uh, on Russia, um, you know, the the cut supply oil from um, Russia and other countries. Also, also, although Russia was not really, uh, let's say, a big exporter of oil to the U.S., but it has its impact on the world. And again, we we're like there is a chain reaction, you know, whatever impacts Europe impacts the U.S. impacts China, and you know, we're like kind of. Uh, have that influence from international markets. Um, that, that's a big thing. Um, and, but again, um, that was, let's say, um, solved by the idea that uh, President Biden injected uh, or increased the oil price, uh, like output per one, almost one million parallel a day for six months. You know, um, that's after the Russian-Ukraine war. Um, that has a positive impact that reduces really the, the impact of the um, 
let's say, Russian-Ukraine war uh, on the U.S., but again, we were just, you know, uh, working with many countries around the world. If we look at the APEC plus, um, you know, like let's say that the President Biden administration tried, you know, even through visits of the president to, to Saudi Arabia and other countries um, to, to impact the supply of oil, but uh, eventually that did not, uh, you know, have an impact. So at the end of the day, um, we suffered from uh, this war big time, uh, but that is related to the supply side, you know, the short uh, in supply and uh, and oil prices or energy prices, natural gas and others, you know. So what, uh, what about the impact has our domestic energy policy had on our economy? Um, the, the domestic policy is still good. Um, you know, um, I, I see that basically we, we're kind of pushing toward uh, more environmental health, you know, friendly projects like EV cars, you know, electric cars. Um, th- this is very, these projects are very good. And recently there have been many projects going on in this direction. You know, um, this is really good. Like, uh, and increasing the oil price, the oil output domestically, it was good. But again, there are companies who taken advantage of that. And uh, that's why, for example, uh, seven CEOs of the big, um, you know, gas companies, uh, they were testifying in the Congress to make sure that basically the gas at the gas station reflects that the actual price, you know, the equilibrium price, let's say supply demand, not they're taking advantage. For example, many companies, what they did, um, they start basically reducing less, uh, producing less oil in a time we need that oil and try to like ma- do maintenance and other things and other projects at the same time to keep that supply flow, uh, oil low, in order to keep the price up, you know, and high. And that is kind of, um, you need like more accountability, you know, you need really a policy that investigates whether what's going on is, is correct, if it reflects the market or not. Um, but but I mean, there, there are many projects, especially after COVID-19 um, and after the Ukraine war started uh, to um, basically enhance the energy supply uh, for our economic, uh, domestic economy. Boy, I'd such a year uh, have given these students and myself at, at, along with this, just all of this information that I think is so imperative. I think we all need to study uh, what you're offering here and, and talk about what's going on. What is what is the possibility of a recession? Let's say we are now uh, at 50-50, exactly. 50-50, uh, 50%, mm. 50%. Um, the recession is, you know, when you look at the recession, like what, what what do we mean by recession? It's simply increase on employment and reduction in the prices. And now we're not facing either one. Prices are high, which is kind of, and unemployment is low, you know. So you see that is that is something very important. Now, what we teach our students usually, this is like kind of stagflation, supply-driven fluctuations, you know, that has something to do with, higher prices and higher unemployment at the same time, but we still don't have higher unemployment. So as long as, like, if we look at the markets, we have to separate them and look at each one and see the impact of each one on the economy. Like, let's look at the financial market. Financial market is is still good, but again, it could crash. Uh, The possibility, to be honest, is very low, 
but the recovery is very slow. It's extremely slow. Like every day, for example, the financial market or stock market tends to be bullish. Give it one day, two days, then goes back to be bearish. You know, yeah. that's kind of, yeah. if you look at the housing market, there is a freeze again. Um, you know, there is no new buyers. There's almost 50% drop in the new home buyers, you know, and many people, they lost almost the, in the U.S., almost $100 billion. They're the new home buyers who actually put money in new homes. And once these homes were built, they were not unable to pay that uh, rate because the rate increases, you know, within five, six months uh, during the last year. So um, the housing market it did not crash. It's still very strong. If you look at the labor market, it's still strong. You know, when we talk about the 3.4 unemployment rate, this is really good. But the prices is still high. Again, um, there is decrease in the prices. There's almost 50% decrease from 10% to 4.9%. That is a huge accomplishment. So again, we're not like, there's nothing that shows we are in recession for sure. You know, let's say there's a possibility, but that possibility has to do with what? Like keep increasing the interest rate aggressively. Some international markets, you know, like let's say, another war or the war gets too bad um you know the, the oil prices there is a shock in oil prices or energy prices uh let's say there's another war and retaliation and trade like tariffs and stuff like that um if for example there is like kind of let's say a war in in taiwan you know and china taiwan and the us is involved for example um let's say um you know um uh, iran israel and uh Let's say the U.S. involved, uh, for example, in a war um, in the Middle East. Let's say something, you know, happened like internationally that definitely could basically, um, you know, bring our economy back. Uh, but at the same, like currently we are still stable. We're still like strong. Um, I, I highly, uh, the, the recession is unlikely within at least the next 12 months. You know, it's not going to be like tomorrow or next quarter, or let's say end of the year, that is kind of far away. You know, it's it's very unlikely. It could happen, let's say, 2024, if mm. if we keep, like, again, going in, in a bad direction. Wow, interesting. I guess we all just need to be prepared. Uh, this is great, fascinating information. We have to take a quick break, so stay with us, and uh, more in just a moment. And now, a National University tip on getting started. For me personally, I knew I wanted to pursue an education due to what I wanted to do in, in life. But if I had to look back at somebody in my same position, I would tell them, for one, get rid of every reason why you can't go to school. Just deciding and then committing to it, the first place to start is, what do you enjoy? What do you care about? And if there's a degree that you, know, you can translate that into, then let's go after that. If you're unsure, talk to somebody who's currently in school. If you're serving with somebody who's going to school, talk to them about it and what their experience is like. The thing is, I truly believe as far as the general education, it's a perfect time to develop an understanding of what you want to do. It helps you figure out what you want to do. There's always going to be room to adjust, to make changes. And so looking at anybody who was sitting in my position and they're thinking about going to school, I would tell them to go down to that college office. They can guide you and, and help you figure out what it is or ways that you can make it happen.
各位。And now back to our interview with Dr. Riyad Abubakar, and we're talking about the state of the economy. And、um, so, Doctor, for first-time homebuyers, what does that look like? What are the, the interest rates, and、um, how difficult is that going to be? Oh, thank you, Kim. This is a very important question. This is really the question of all the new homebuyers. Let's say、um, it is very difficult for.、Um, To buy a home these days for new home buyers, it's really extremely difficult. Now the difficulty comes from two things. One is the the prices, and as you can see, the housing market price is going up internationally, nationally, and、uh, and let's say by 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 the state. The other thing is the interest rate. The interest rate is really high. Like let's say last year, for example,、um, let's give it one example from you know the the the, the information I see in, in you know within. Friends and family. If you bought like three thousand dollars a month、uh, as a contract to buy a home, let's say in December or November twenty twenty one, and let's say the home is built in in June, your monthly rate will go from forty three hundred dollars to forty five hundred dollars. Imagine like from three thousand dollars to forty five hundred dollars within these six months. And for new home buyers who put already some money to hold the home. Uh, this money is gone, right? Because you're not gonna be able. And this money, if you collect it within the U.S. and see the cost of, you know, the amount of this money, it's almost hundred billion dollars. So new home buyers lost almost hundred billion dollars. They stop buying new homes and they they move to rent. So this is a big thing because the interest rate is really high. Now we're talking in California almost seven percent real,、uh, you know, real estate rate. Compared to three percent after COVID, two point nine nine, you know, two point six sometimes. So this is a huge increase, and that is a big thing.、Uh, now imagine when int- when interest rate increases, the impact is not just any any new home buyers in terms of mortgage. There are other things, right? Because you pay your credit card bills,、uh, your student loans maybe. So you pay many interest rate. Increases within, like you know, your daily life activities. So that's like adds to your basically out of wallet money. And at the end of the day, you know, new home buyers will will suffer a lot. So that's why there is a huge drop in in these um in the rate of new home buyers because uh they they cannot afford it simply. You know. So if you look at it, there is、um, many restrictions. You know, in terms of a credit score and other stuff, unlike two thousand eight or before. The other thing is、um, rate is high, prices are high, and、um, income did not change. You know, the, the basically the, the the income does not change as much as the prices change or interest rate change. So、um, it, it's very difficult. If you look at the index of rent versus home,、um, now also they're very close. So that that also goes to the supply the supply side. For example, for、um, people who own their home right now, they're not willing to sell because if they sell their home, they're gonna go search for rent, and rent is high. And this is kind of a freeze. Let's say buyers don't want to buy, sellers don't want to sell, and this is like exactly when when the stock market halts. Where are we going next? You know, will suppliers keep us? You know, speculating and. And selling it quickly, like the the homeowners, and that crashes the stock market. The sorry,、uh, housing market, or buyers will keep jumping and buying and say, you know what, I can afford it. Let me go with it.、Uh, I refinance later or something. 
and then home prices keep climbing. So that's kind of if you if you look at the home prices, um, you know, in the U.S., there's there's a decrease. You can find kind of almost in every city there is a price cut, you know. But again, there is a rate, there is a higher rate, and the the interest rate is very very high, and it's gonna keep climbing. So that is uh, there's no hope to and sometimes like buyers will say, okay, let me buy now. Uh, because later on, I will buy buy at higher rate. So what should I do? You know, it's confusing. But if you look at it in terms of rate versus income, that's hard to afford the current rate. Now, if future rates are higher, then that's harder. So in to avoid that, um, you know, the current generations, let's say people between 20 and 30 years old, you know, um, they have different time, you know, even some people, they, their parents are telling them, okay, stay in, in my home, you know, stay within, within the family so you can, you know, you know, later on save money and, and get the home you want. Because it's hard. I mean, it's really hard. Like, um, because people after COVID-19, they start thinking that, oh, do you know what? I don't want to miss the opportunity that I missed in 2008. Let me buy home. And that's why the home prices did not really go down uh, significantly. So there's increase in the prices, like the prices are going up, you know, but with higher rates, that is a big, a big thing. So I think for new home buyers, it's really tough. And if you really interview, most of the people are searching for homes these days, unless they have cash, you know, to, to pay, um, they, they will be discouraged. You will see that there is disappointment. There is. And especially, as you mentioned, in California, which is just uh, it's so hard to be young, uh, be it, you know, new job, new career and try to buy a home. It's just insane. Mm -hmm. We have beautiful weather, but they uh, we pay for it. Right. Can you talk about the relationship between uh, higher wages and higher inflation? Um, definitely. The, the way we look at it in economics is, is simply there is nominal versus real variables, like let's say nominal wage, real wage. Now, the real wage represents the real purchasing power, how much you can buy with what you have in your bucket. You know, that is very important. Let's say when the prices go up like last year by 10 percent. And there's kind of like a sticky price is what we say usually. Prices are not flexible. So if prices go up, you're not going to go to your employer second day and say, hey, do you know what? I need increase in, in my salary. You're not going to do that right away. You know, it takes time. So it takes time for, for um, households, people to, to see the impact of the prices. But when inflation is 10%, when, you, when the increase in your annual salary, let's say, 4%, 3 2%, 2%, 3%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%
I want to go on unemployment benefits. That's part for, for me. Why, why do I work and all this job does not really afford what we, they can afford? So within the last year, the highest number of voluntarily unemployment, we don't call it unemployment, it was within the last you know, year or so. People are leaving the job voluntarily. They're not laid off. You know, they're not uh, leaving their job because you know the employer is telling them so. They want to leave it because they don't see benefits for these jobs when the prices are very high. So this is a big thing. You know, you need always to match the price increase with the salary or wages increase. There are some unions are you know asking for minimum wages. For example, in San Francisco, you see the minimum wages going up. This is a good thing. You know, uh, but. Definitely, as, as employers, they have to take that into consideration. When the prices are higher, employer employees should ask for higher salary. So at least, let's say, you know, um, if prices are going up by 10%, let's say your salary should go up by 10 plus percent in a way that you can cover your the, these expenses. Because at the end of the day, there is something that also we have to watch for. When inflation is, let's say, 10%. So what is the increase? You know, what is the consumer basket? For example, if I go, okay, there's increase in, let's say, vocational prices or hotels by 100%, for example. Uh, not all people go vocations, right? But if you go to the produce market, to which vegetables, fruit, fruits, dairy products, and you find 10%, 15%, 20% increase in these prices. This is what we consume on daily basis, right? That's why if, if you see or... Like you listen to the news or watch for the data and you see 5% increase in inflation, you don't be shocked that your, that your basket that you go to buy from, you know, groceries um, monthly or weekly, you're going to find 100% increase. And that is so you're going to say, okay, I'm paying almost double the price, but why, why they're saying inflation is 5%? That's not the truth. Again, because they're taking many items, you know, the average consumption, you know, or what we call it, the cost of living for a typical consumer with certain items, certain quantities. But in reality, it is very important for us to see where is the increase in the prices. For example, let's say school tuitions, let's say declined over the last year. But again, grocery prices or meat doubled. So maybe on average we're going to get 5%, but we have to see that, oh, you know what, what I consume daily or monthly is going up by 20%. That's something yeah. we have to watch yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree that we do need to work harder on all of that and balance that. What, um, who's being impacted the most by this current state of the economy? The current state of the economy, in, in my opinion, impacts mostly the middle class people. Mm-hmm. You know, that is mainly because think about it. Like if you if you are earning the lowest income, you're eligible to get other benefits like unemployment benefits, um, let's say social security benefits, tax refund, for example, uh, food stamps, uh, you know, free health care or like medical or something. So this is good. Now for the people who earn like, let's say, um, you know, 300, let's say above six figures and seven figures, whatever, um, they're not going to suffer a lot because they can afford it, you know. But the people who barely make the minimum, these people will suffer a lot. I mean, if you give me the minimum wage these days in California, and let's say the minimum wage, let's say 20 bucks, you know, and working 40 hours a week, that means you're giving me, uh, let's say um, you work, let's say um, that's kind of, if we calculate this number, you're not going to make more than $4,000. 
right, mm. a month. But the average rent is $3,000 plus in Southern California. If you go to Northern California for one bedroom, you might pay four or $5,000. So right. realistically speaking, how can we afford it? I mean, how are somebody with, with that income could afford this living? It's impossible. I mean, if you look at, yeah, last year's, um, last year has numbers that I, nobody can believe. Like, for example, you're talking about almost 80% of the people around the New York, they were not being able to pay their basic mm-hmm. um, le- le- basic utility bills. Um, if you look at the whole national level, uh, U.S. level, almost $35 million are the, 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 the default of people on their medical expenses. People are unable to pay their medical expenses. And there was a law that saying, you know what, um, don't take these to credit score and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, people are, are barely making the minimum and barely also could survive, you know, just a basic living. This is very hard. This is very hard. That's why they have to relocate, especially the people who could work online versus in person. You know, mm-hmm. many people, for example, left San Francisco, the Bay Area, the expensive areas in California, and they moved even out of the state uh, as long as they could work online. That is something, you know, was good for the middle class. So the, the state of the economy m- most likely impacts really the middle class people. You know. Uh, and I believe that as well. Uh, we're all feeling that. But do you think that the unemployment rate is lower because people are having to take on extra jobs to make ends meet? Definitely. Most people may definitely most people take, you know, extra job. But as long as you're employed, you're employed, whether you take, you know, two jobs or three jobs or so on and so forth, um, you're still employed. That's not going to basically reduce or increase the unemployment rate. Uh, what decreased the unemployment rate, in, in my opinion, is there is a demand, you know, there's a demand for labor, simply like um, um, recently, many people, you know, are posting jobs, especially for trucking companies, mm-hmm. uh, for fast food industry, you know, um, there's a shortage in the labor, you know, there is a need for for a good amount of labor because of the voluntary unemployment. And these people are not included within the unemployment number of statistics, let's say, okay. statistics okay. or survey wise. So uh, there is a need. I mean, if you go now, you, you will see that. The demand for labor in many sectors is increasing, um, especially, again, the fast food, like, let's say, driving, transportation, um, even in, in the academia, you know, you see that there is a difference. There's more posting, um, you know, the, than like basically uh, um, other jobs like or in the past, you know. So, yeah, definitely, definitely the unemployment is low because there is higher demand. Uh, we cannot say there's lower supply, you know, that's not like 100% true, but there's also reduction in the supply because some people are not joining the labor force and they're saying, you know what, let me be a student even for graduate level and so on and so forth. And as we know, like statistic-wise, as long as a, you know, a person is a student, will not he or she will not be included in the labor market. Wow. What is, what is your best advice, doctor, for people to get through these difficult economic times? Um. Thank you. This is really the bigger question that we all, you know, we all live as economists in ourselves, in our households. So the best thing to do, you know, to to really like face these challenges is to make choices. You know, it's it's like 
As we always, you know, teach our students, economics is the best optimal allocation of scarce resources. So we have scarce resources, limited resources, but we need to do the best of these resources. So definitely, like, you know, as a family, um, all family members should sit on, you know, sit and, and discuss what they can do with the leftover money or the money they have, you know, after they pay all these high rates and stuff like that and mortgage. So um, you need to make choices, you know, you need to sacrifice, basically. For example, somebody, you know, used to go two times, three times vacation, you know, to other countries. They might cut that to one time or two, or, you know, like from three to two or two times to one time. Um, if you used to travel a lot, if you used to drive a lot, try to drive to, you know, to the areas that you need to drive to. Uh, for example, you can take the train instead of uh, taking um um, let's say your own car. Um, other things like, for example, you can use Tesla or like, let's say EV cars. There, there are other cars other than Tesla in the market. They, they could go as low as $10,000, you know, uh, per electric car, which is, you know, a good thing in, in many ways, you know, that actually gives, um, you know, some tax subsidy for the consumers. And on the other side, also that reduces the consumption of oil and gasoline. Um, yeah, you need to make choices. You know, it, it's it's a time where you will sacrifice and you have to lose something in order to gain something and make the best optimal allocation for these limited resources. But again, from family to family, from a person to person, things will be different. You know, not everybody will think the same way. Wow, this has been fascinating. Thank you for your great advice. And um, we're going to definitely have you back on again. Uh, thank you again. And if you want more information, you can definitely visit National University's website at nu.edu. And Doctor, we look forward to your next visit. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you, Kim. I really appreciate it. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. You've been listening to the National University Podcast. For updates on future or past guests, visit us at nu.edu. You can also follow us on social media. Thanks for listening.